Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to our latest edition of March Madness 365. On this edition of our show, I'm going to be joined by Jay Wright, the head coach of the number one ranked Villanova Wildcats, Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl, and one other special guest that I'm going to start the show with, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News and the Big Ten Network. And Mike and I are going to discuss sort of the national scene here in college basketball. And that's where I want to start right away, Mike. Uh, let, let's first delve into player of the year. Let's just go right for the player. And uh, at this juncture, is this Trey Young's race to lose? Well, you know, I think that that puts a lot on him because what what people don't understand about uh, about his circumstance or the circumstance of any freshman is that you go th- at the high major level, you go through and you play maybe every third, fourth, fifth game against a relatively equivalent opponent. I mean, there aren't very many teams at Oklahoma's level that are playing 12 non-conference high major games. It does, just doesn't happen. And so what he's been able to do has been magical, just wonderful and phenomenal and every adjective I can come up with, and it, it's been great. Uh, but it, the challenge changes now for him. As, as we saw in their game against West Virginia on the road, uh, you, you get this steady diet of everybody you play, especially in the Big 12 uh, among conferences, everybody you play can really go and has a great coach and they can game plan against you. And you have to do it a, a, almost every night and you have to do it on the road. And there are all these different elements that he's not had to deal with to this point. So I think it puts a lot on him to say, it's his to lose, or uh, if he does, if he's not the player of the year by March, you know that maybe he somehow failed. I, I don't really want to do that. He's been the most exciting and dynamic player to to this point, but he's going to face now something that's entirely different from anything he's ever faced in his life. And I think he's going to do great. Uh, I think he's going to do wonderfully. But if he doesn't do it better than everybody, I don't want anyone to think that he hasn't gotten it done. So here's a crazy scenario. How much do you think there's a chance that he could get enough support to be national player of the year? But within the Big 12, if West Virginia were to win the conference, I could see a strong push for Javon Carter. Yeah, that, that kind of thing has actually happened before in 2012. Excuse me, in 20, 2002, Jason Williams was national player of the year uh, for sporting news and for, I think, the majority of other uh, big awards. 
and yet uh, I I know for a fact that uh, that Juan Dixon was the ACC Player of the Year, and so there was some controversy about that. Uh, and then of course uh, Juan also became the most outstanding player in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but uh, that was a year in which there was that split, and so I could, I guess, I could see that happening here. Uh, it's certainly always possible that a player, because again, it, that that brings up when you're voting on a conference award, are you only voting on the 18 league games, or are you voting on the full season? And in the case of of Jason Williams versus Juan Dixon, we were looking at the full season, and and I would expect certainly when I have voted. In the past, on conference awards, I'm looking at okay. What'd you do in your in your league games? All right. So outside of Trey Young, at the national level, where do you put Marvin Bagley, DeAndre Ayton? Those are freshmen, and maybe others like I mentioned, Javon Carter, who's not a freshman, uh, in this mix. Well, I think that I think that Trey is certainly in a great spot, but um, a lot of things can happen. I mean, I think Jordan Murphy is a player that might have been a candidate for national player of the year. And he has continued, even as his team has struggled, and now his team ha- has lost some personnel. It's, it's hard to be the national player of the year from a non-tournament team. So even if Jordan Murphy continues to ring up double-doubles, I think it's going to be difficult for him to be that player. Uh, it, Michigan State, uh, Miles Bridges, has certainly put up very good numbers, but not overwhelming numbers in the way that some others have. But I think he's looking at trying to win a national championship as being his foremost consideration. And, and I, you know, the one name that you didn't mention that I think we absolutely need to scream from the hilltops is Jalen Brunson. I mean, I think you can make a case that Jalen Brunson, in a lot of ways, has been nearly as good as Trey Young. And I don't think he gets discussed as much as some, as some others do. He's been phenomenal. I watched him at Butler when Butler shot like a million percent from three-point range. I mean, it was just incredible, the performance that the Bulldogs put on. Really tough early on for Villanova to do much about it since tackling is, not, is no longer legal in college basketball. <laughs> uh, so they, there wasn't much they could do, but when they needed to try to make a run at it, Jalen wound up scoring 30-plus because that's what that day needed. They don't always need that from him, so he doesn't always do it. But it's always there and, and in his arsenal. And I, I think he is easily one of the five best players in America. So I, I'm just like throwing this right down your wheelhouse in that how much do you think this season shows that to harp on the one and done, bad for the game and all that uh, is a complete farce? Because what we're seeing here are players who are contributing to their teams, their university. And I mean, I've interviewed a bunch of these guys and they are not, you know, I don't know if they're going to stay obviously beyond the semester. Will they finish semester? I can't predict that, but they all are of high character that I've dealt with. And, you know, they've made contributions here Uh, and uh, to dismiss it outright that it's bad for the game, that they need to be freshman ineligible I think is missing the point. I know I'm I'm serving this right up to you, Mike. So yeah, swing away. It's far. It, it's a farce on so many levels, Andy. It, the, the, those young men. I've dealt with uh, what we've had this for ten years now, and I've dealt with people like Mike Conley and Kevin Durant and uh, and players like Anthony Davis, who put more into being a Kentucky Wildcat than anybody you could ask, um, and more than some guys did over four years. To be honest with you. 
and players like John Wall, who has continued to remain connected, and Carl Towns. Jolly By the way, Loka Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant just donated what three, three million dollars. Yes. Yeah, and so that that stuff's crazy. And then the other part about well, we don't get to know the players. That's Texas what they say. Well, how many seniors does Villanova have to roll through before you get to know them? How long do they need to stay there? 20 years? Jalen Brunson was a national championship player three years ago. And now he's a, you know, now he's a junior and he's a, a first-team All-America level player. Do you not know him by now? I mean, I, it's, it's just it, it's so preposterous. Uh, I, I did a column about the lies that are told about one and done and that have been persistent for the decade plus that it's been in yeah. place uh, that I recommend anybody reading on SportingNews.com. And it, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I had a conversation, a half-hour conversation with DeAndre Ayton about a month ago to do a piece for Sporting News on the people to watch uh, in 2018. We did it in every sport, and that was the one we chose for college basketball. DeAndre Ayton blew me away with the conversation we had. He is a terrific young man who's been through a lot uh, and who wants to be a great player and who wants to win a championship for Arizona. I don't know what more we can ask of these people. Yeah, and certainly Trey Young, an outstanding young man as well. All right, so let's let's pepper through some of these conferences. I'm just going to rattle them off, and you tell me where you think the race is going. So we're just going to – obviously the majors, so about seven or eight of these. So let's start in the American. Uh, Cincinnati, Wichita State. Clearly looks like a two-team race. What's your assessment? Yeah, you know, I think UCF will be the spoiler there. Um, it doesn't seem like the the others uh, – I think there's some very good teams there. Houston, Tulane is interesting, uh, SMU. But I, I think that UCF is the spoiler. Uh, if, once they, they get healthy. Yeah, it will be, yeah, especially when they get healthy. I mean, if that's – you know, because it really is hard to play against them. I watched the Bearcats play against – uh, UCF last year, and they just couldn't do anything that they ordinarily do. And I've seen that uh, because of Taco Fall being 7-7 and such a presence defensively, it, it really does mess up the other team. And it, you know, once a team learns to play with a guy like Taco, which UCF has clearly done, uh, it's a problem for everybody. All right, the Atlantic 10. I look at this as Rhode Island's to lose, especially after St. Bonaventure lost on the road at Dayton and at St. Joe's. What do you think? They're the best team in the league. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, what's going to be interesting is how long can Duquesne keep this up? I know. You know I, I go way back with Duquesne. I, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. They were my first real college basketball beat, the Dukes. I did that for two years for the Pittsburgh Press. And there was a time about 15 years later after I left the beat when I was saying – they have to get out of high major basketball. Uh, uh, the, the Atlantic 10 was just too strong for them. The Atlantic 10 has stepped back a little bit, but Duquesne, as it existed 15 years ago, this Atlantic 10 would still have been too strong for them. But hiring Keith Dambrot was brilliant, uh, absolutely brilliant move, and it's paying dividends for them. All right, the ACC, uh, as we're taping this, and this will change as you're listening to this, uh, but as we're taping this, you had Clemson, Virginia, and Notre Dame all undefeated here at the beginning of the week. <laughs> no way anyone predicted that with North Carolina and Duke both having two losses. So let's say, you know, six, seven weeks from now, what do you think the ACC standings will look like? You know, I, I don't think it'll look like this, but I think that there will be four or five contenders for that league championship, and it wouldn't be at all surprising to me if the league champion lost five or more games. 
that it's it's a really really balanced league, uh, one to maybe eleven. Uh, or so, maybe ten, uh, and so there there are a lot of losses out there on the road for even the better teams in the league. Big Twelve, um, you know, non-conference, t- all ten were thinking, okay, we got a chance. Obviously, that wasn't right. going to happen. Things are evening out. Iowa State's now off to a really slow start. I think we're going to sort of take them off the map. Oklahoma State, Baylor's kind of struggling a little. K State, a little up and down. You know, to me. You got Texas Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Kansas, TCU. I think those five are going to be in for sure. Right. Texas is the outlier where they're talented enough to be to be, I think be a tournament team. Clearly, will they win enough games? That's the question. But the bigger thing for me is with you. What are the chances that Kansas does not win its 14th straight Big 12 title? You know what? I, I loved that after they lost their first home game, that they were being written off, and I was. You know, people are so desperate to write that story that they didn't win, you know, that they're not going to win or they did, that they waited until they lost one game. There are a lot of very good teams at the top of the Big 12. And I think West Virginia is the most consistently dangerous. I don't think West Virginia is going to lose a home game in their league. Uh, that's, so that's uh, like you're spotting them a 9-0, and 0 spot, uh, 9-0 and 0, uh, start. Texas Tech is really interesting because no one has been able to figure them out yet. Uh, and so they, they've been on the road at Kansas, and to have that one in the bank is really good for them. But I think that you're looking at three to four teams uh, that have a great shot to win it. It's going to be hard for TCU to come back from losing uh, two of their first three, although they certainly are good enough to do it, to be a factor. I'm not sure that uh, they're necessarily going to come back and win it. But uh, I, I think it's a fascinating race. And remember this about KU. In the 13 that they've won, there have been some that they did not win outright. I don't know right. exactly what the number is, but there, are, there have been so, a few that they did not win by themselves. So uh, I think at this point, if, KU, if you said to KU that you can have a tie, they'll take it, uh, and, and they'll just keep the streak moving on to 14. All right, so the Big East, you've got Seton Hall, Xavier, Creighton, Villanova. I think those four for sure. I think Butler will end up getting there. Uh, Marquette's interesting with Marcus Howard, certainly playing phenomenal. Um, you know, I wouldn't totally rule out Providence yet. So they've got good depth there. What are the chances, though, Mike, that a team other than Xavier or Villanova, which really would be Seton Hall Creighton, <laughs> could unseat the Wildcats? Well, I thought you were just going to say Villanova because remember they've won every league. Yes, I know that the Big East has had has stayed four in a row, since. Right? It four in a row since the since the split since the reformation or whatever you want to call it, uh, they they have won every one and they've won and by I think their average record in the league is sixteen and two or something like that in that span. It's been their, their dominance of a very good league has been phenomenal. I don't know that they can go sixteen and two this year. I don't know that they'll need to to win the conference, but I, I do think that until they don't win it. I remember, and, and in their run of four, I don't think they've had a tie. They've been outright all four of those years, I believe. So until somebody else does it, I'll say prove it. But I think Xavier, uh, Creighton, and, and Seton Hall all will be in the hunt. Uh, for Seton Hall to go into Butler on Saturday, uh, and it did not so much win, but to have to rally to win. Because Seton Hall is not the team that you look at and say, you know, they're built to rally. They're built to pound you into submission and you can't, you know, and you're not around for the for the last round, so to speak, in the boxing match. In this one, they punched their way through the final round and were able to win it. So that I think that showed a a new gear that maybe we didn't know they had. All right, let's shift to the Big Ten, a conference that both of us cover extensively for the Big Ten Network. 
Uh, Purdue, as we're taping this, Purdue and Ohio State were undefeated. Michigan State lost last Sunday at Ohio State. Purdue and Michigan State, clearly the two best teams, but Ohio State obviously proved that it can step up and win a huge game like they did on Sunday. Michigan, I think you can put into that top tier. And then the rest of the league, it's sort of a crapshoot, especially with Minnesota's issues, injury suspensions, whether or not they can stay up there. Maryland's thin because of injuries. At this juncture, I think we both agree Michigan State is the team to beat, though. How deep do you think this league goes, though, where teams are legitimately going to finish where they can get into the NCAAs and maybe get a decent seed? Well, you know, I think that for a lot of the teams in the league, just getting in at this point, less so than getting a decent seed, is, is important. I mean, if you're looking at anyone from Maryland through Minnesota, Penn State, Nebraska, I think any of those teams just to get in would be pleased. I think uh, it, for me to even mention anybody beyond that, uh, Indiana, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Northwestern, I mean, if you, if you could even put them in the sentence, they'd be happy uh, yeah, because they have struggled enough in non-conference and early conference. For me, Michigan State has the best team. I think they have the best team in the country. Yep. Um, but they, you know, they also have significant advantages in scheduling over their chief rival for the league in Purdue. Uh, the, the league schedule breaks better this season for Michigan State than it did for Purdue. If you looked at just the schedule, Ohio State's is almost as favorable as Michigan State's at this point. I just don't think they have quite the same team. So uh, I think that's the that's what's interesting is Michigan State, best team, Purdue, really close. But can they fight through a, a more difficult schedule than the Spartans have to? All right, let's shift to the Pac-12, where Arizona and Arizona State, I think clearly the two best teams. Arizona State, scheduling-wise, had to start with three straight on the road. I think that will even out after their phenomenal non-conference. So I think we agree those are the two best. How deep does the rest of it go with UCLA, you know, Washington's had a very interesting season, and then this sort of a muddled group. I mean, USC's been disappointing. Colorado is young and then just swept the Arizona schools for a phenomenal weekend, but do they have this, you know, sort of the staying power to just win enough games? You know, it's interesting. A lot of times the Pac-12 complains about East Coast bias and everybody forgets about them, and you know, I think this is a year in which they're kind of glad that everybody forgets about them uh, because people have been bashing the Big Ten around for its performance uh, in non-conference play, and they earned uh, some of the bashing, if not all of it. But the Pac-12 has been sort of – no one's noticed that they've had a, a even worse non-conference performance overall than the Big Ten has. Uh, they, you're looking at not a single team at this point other than Arizona State – that has less than three losses, has three or less losses. Uh, Arizona State at 13 and two. Everybody else has four or more. Uh, even you know a great team like Arizona, you had the difficult time down in the Bahamas, and now sits at 12 and four. So uh, it's it's a it's a disappointing year for the Pac-12. The only league, team in the league, teams in the league that can say. You know, we have outperformed what you thought we'd do. Are Washington, with Mike Hopkins doing a phenomenal job in his first season as a head coach, uh, and then Oregon State, which is doing a really nice job, uh, you know, of bouncing back from a difficult 2016-17. Uh, Wayne Tinkle had the you know the great year two years ago, made the tournament, uh, then last year dipped down through you know, basically cycling of talent, and now is showing that. Uh, Oregon State, uh, the Beavers are going to be in, you know, they're going to be a team that you have to take seriously 
in the Pac-12, but it's overall a, a very disappointing year for the Pac-12 when teams like UCLA and, and USC and teams like that were expected to be significant. Last one, the SEC. Kentucky, it's always usually Kentucky's to lose. They've already lost at Tennessee. They're going to lose some games because Florida's back playing some of their better basketball. They got off to a 3-0 start. You know, we're going to be joined by Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl. They got off to a 2-0 start. A&M was supposed to contend, but they've had suspensions and uh, and injuries, and they started with three straight losses to the SEC. Tennessee's pretty good, but they started 1-2. Arkansas started 1-2. You know, LSU's good enough to win games. So it's kind of a muddled miss. I could mention Georgia. Where do you see this whole thing shaking out? I think you should take a snapshot of the SEC standings as they are now and showing A&M at the bottom. That's the most fascinating development of the early conference season because A&M was clearly the best team in the SEC coming out of non-conference. And then you had the suspensions. And it's to, for them to be last place in that league is just staggering. They, they were really good in non-conference. Only loss on the road, more or less, at Arizona, a semi-neutral floor, I guess. And then, you know, rolled West Virginia, which is now number two in the polls, by like 30 in Germany. Um, and for them to be where they are is really uh, and just an incredible development. And it'll be interesting to see whether they can get off that deck uh, because, uh, the, you know, they have to find their way back from, you know, from the suspensions and such. But they also have to find their way through a thicket of really good teams. Uh, there aren't very many teams in that league right now that you say, oh, good, we get to play them. You know, I, I mean, there have been seasons where two-thirds of the SEC fit into that category for, you know, for those at the top. Like Kentucky was looking at the, would be looking at the schedule two, three years ago, and they'd say, oh, good, we get to play them. That's not the case anymore. This is a really deep league. Uh, And, you know, a lot of teams, you know, all the way down into the, you know, the teens uh, where they're thinking they've got a shot all the way down. You know, I mean, Alabama is now two spots from the bottom and certainly they believe they have a shot uh, and they, and they certainly have the talent to be a team that should be in the tournament. Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News and the Big Ten Network. We appreciate you joining us here on March Madness 365. And when we come back here on the podcast, we'll be joined by Villanova head coach Jay Wright. And as promised, now joining us here on March Madness 365, Villanova head coach Jay Wright. The Wildcats, the number one team in the country for the second time this season. And Jay, uh, when you were number one and you played Butler, you guys are sort of used to this being the draw in the Big East. How have you gotten your guys used to this, though, especially the young guys, when every time you go into a gym, you are the team to beat? It's definitely a challenge, Andy. And it's, um, you know, I don't know if you can ever really get them ready for it until they experience it. And, and And having guys on your team that can pass it down to the younger guys. And I remember... Um, some years ago, first time we were, you know, that we had won the Big East Championship the first year. And the next year, when we went back into play into um, other arenas, you know, you could feel it. And then after winning the national championship, you could feel it at another level. And then when you're, believe it or not, when you're number one, I think that's the highest level that you feel it, even more so than being a national champion, because that's current, you know, and it gives your opponent something immediate to accomplish. So, I do think the guys are getting comfortable with it. Uh, the, the Butler game was an incredible environment, and and we didn't play poorly. They just played great, 
So explain this. I mean, usually an elite team like yourselves, team that's supposed to be a potential title contender like Villanova, does not play so many games away from home. Uh, how did this work out that, you know, for most of the season, you guys have either been on a neutral court or in a true road situation, even, you know, within Philadelphia? That's so funny. I just was talking to our staff about this because I was looking at the RPI. I was looking at the top teams and they and, and they show, you know, road record, um, home record. And we had five home games and all the other teams had like 10, 11 I mean, I knew it. it, it just, I had forgotten about it, which I guess is a good thing. But, you know, we're, we're renovating our on-campus facility, the pavilion. So we're playing all our home games at the Wells Fargo Center. And with that, you have to mix in your dates with the Flyers and the 76ers and the circus and uh, Disney on ice. And so uh, we just didn't have a, a lot of dates. Um, so I, I, I really am proud of our guys, the way they've – the way they have handled that, and and we have had some some good neutral sites, and we have had some um, you know some good the tournament in the Bahamas. So it's been I, I hope it's preparing us for the the Big East challenges. So how much do you prescribe to the theory that you gotta get old and stale? Well, I think it's different for every program. It, it's definitely important for our program. Um, it's, it's this is this is not um, an easy place to come in and, and learn our system immediately. You know, we've had some guys that have done a great job of it. You know, Jalen Brunson, Kyle Lowry, R- Randy Foy, um, a lot of guys, you know, just great basketball IQs, Josh Hart. They come in and just pick it up quickly. Um, Omari Spellman's doing it right now. But but then I really admire, you know, when you look at what, what John Calipari does, what Mike Krzyzewski does, when they, to get those guys in one year to understand how to play within their system is incredible. Um, so certain guys do a really good job of not having to be old and, and getting a young team to compete at a high level. Um, and and we're, we're kind of one of those teams that we're better when we're older. So Jay, last week I had Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard on the show, and he credits you with the way the Big East is running right now not because you won a national championship, not because you've been a top five program, but he said that you stood up in their first Big East meeting and said, look, I've been in the league when it's small, large, small again, and the only way this is going to work is if we all stick together, we don't kill each other in recruiting, and we root for each other outside of the game maybe we're playing in. Uh, So how much is that fact versus fiction? And if it's all fact, why did you do it? Well, we we all kind of agreed to that when we first formed the league, and uh, I just happened to be the oldest guy in the room, <laughs> so I think I get credit for it. But you know, at the time, myself and John Thompson were the kind of the veterans in the league, and it was our first league meetings. We had always gone to Ponte Vedra all the years with the old Big East, and all of a sudden we found ourselves in Hollywood, Florida, in a in a Ritz, uh, beautiful place. But we just all you know for the first time, none of us were in. Pontevedra, where our families had gotten used to all we had great traditions of all the Big East coaches down there, and stories we've heard about Louis Carnesecca and Roly Massimino down there. So we, we, it hit me, John and myself, that wow, this is a new world. So you know, what what are we going to do about it? You know, and we we talked about the fact that you know this is exactly what John Thompson and Jim Beheim and Roly Massimino, Louis Carnesecca, and th- those guys. That's what they dealt with when they started the new Big East, and. You know, we know we're going to kill each other in, in, in games. You know, we know we're going to 
kill each other in recruiting, meaning compete against one another. But we can't, we we have to understand that we're doing something really unique. We're we're an, we're an all basketball league, and and it's who we are. And no one else is doing this, and no one else can do it. So let's make sure we understand the value of each other and the value of this conference. And that gives us our best chance to be successful if we're authentic that, hey, we're all basketball schools. That's what we are. We're putting all our resources there, and we're all in this together. Now, we're going to try to kill each other when we play and we recruit, but otherwise we're sticking together. This team has great balance, obviously led right now by Jalen Brunson and Mikel Bridges. How have you got? How have you been able to get these guys to – share the basketball so well. Uh, and I remember when I watched you guys play Gonzaga, just each possession, it felt like everyone was touching the basketball, certainly if you were in the half court. How did you get that complete buy-in? Well, I think first get, get, the credit goes to uh, you know our assistant coaches. I mean, we we work really hard, and they they do the, the work at identifying players that value basketball IQ, you know, and that are – intelligent people that, you know, when they get here and you show them that, you know, when you play basketball and you share the ball with each other, you're actually going to be the best individual you can be. And our assistants have done a great job of identifying those guys. So then as a head coach, when you're trying to sell that to them, um, they kind of get it already, you know, and I think it really speaks to the, the, the basketball intelligence of our guys. You know, you, the, the two best players, you said it are Jalen Brunson and Mikael Bridges and that shows, but yet, they still share the ball, and they understand that if we share the ball, it's I'm still going to be the best player, and we all get it too. And then the younger guys understand when when I get to be that good, we're going to still share the ball, and it will show that I'm the best player. You know, there's two things I look back in your Villanova pass, and and it almost must seem like it was just a different era, a different time period. The one I think back is when you guys struggled the first three years. You know, last I think in '04 yeah. you finished 11th. And yeah. things look like it were going sideways. And then the second time where, which is an unfair criticism, but, oh, you know, they can't get past the first weekend. They're a high seed. And, you know, as if it's so awful that you have good records but just don't advance for, far. But there are two different time periods. Like, one, okay, you're not successful. Two, you're not successful enough. I mean, how, how do you think you sort of Correct. got through each one of those? Yeah, you know, it's – first of all, you know, I, I think all of it's God's plan, you know, and I – you know, we're very fortunate and blessed. Uh, second of all, as you know, you know, you, you explained it perfectly. Um, there's, there's different challenges throughout your career. If you are fortunate enough to be at a school for a long period of time, you're going to have to hit both of those. And at some point, you're going to have to surpass them. And if you don't, you're not going to be there. You know, And we all get that in this business, you know, it, and, and at both times. You know, early in our career, we were close. You know, I, uh, I remember your good friend, uh, Dane O'Neill, was our beat writer at the time. And yep. in that fourth year, she came to me preseason. We met to always do our, our preseason story. She goes, you know I have to write the article, right? I said, yeah, I know. She goes, do you understand what I have to write? I said, yeah. you got to write. I could get fired this year. She said, yeah, I do. So, you know, all coaches go through it. And then, as you said, then you get to the point where it's just not enough, you know, and all coaches that stay have to deal with that. And we're, we never feared getting fired. We never feared failure uh, because the, the, the fans and the media judge you uh, one way, and it's, it, it's fair. You know, it's legitimate. But we don't judge ourselves that way. So as long as we're giving our best effort, we're trying to do things the right way, we're good. 
sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. So we're talking the day after the national championship game in football, Georgia losing Alabama on a last second play. What game, you're, man. You're, you're familiar with that. But, you know, a mega event, two major universities at college football and down in Atlanta. I mean, whatever, 70,000 people, same kind of thing at a Final Four. And yet in the last two years, two small Catholic schools have played actually North Carolina both years yeah. for the national championship. Gonzaga losing last year, you guys beating North Carolina the year before. How do you explain in college basketball that two small Catholic schools could do that? And who knows, you know, Wichita State, which isn't a small Catholic school, but it's a smaller state school. Uh, you know, schools like that still could achieve something like this. I, I think it's a really interesting question, Andy, and I think about that a lot in that different sports require different types of culture. You know, football requires a massive state commitment, not just at the university, but in the entire state level. Why I think Alabama is one of the best programs year in and year out, because it's the biggest thing in the state, bar none. You know, um, like, for instance, Clemson's great, but there's others, they're, and they're huge in that state. But so is South Carolina, and there's, there's other things, you know. Uh, it's not as big as Alabama is in that state. And then basketball uh, requires, I think, more of a, a personal culture. Um, you know, you can see small private high schools in basketball can be really successful when the entire community uh, supports that program. You don't need as many people. You don't need as as many facilities. Um, and you know, lacrosse, you know, lacrosse requires a different environment. You can see the types of schools that are successful in lacrosse. So I think the the small Catholic schools fit the culture that makes a basketball program successful. And we've been fortunate in like Gonzaga and a lot of the schools in the Big East to be a part of one of those universities. Well, let's say before we let you go, Jay, you know, if you guys are fortunate enough to get to San Antonio, I mean, right now you're the number one team in the country, you know, that would be basically putting you guys in position where, you know, three years in a row, you'd have a legitimate chance of competing for the national championship. I mean, regardless of what he gets his hands on, you are in that position now. So let's say three years in a row, you have a chance to do that. When you recruited this group, some of the holdovers that are still you know, there from two years ago, how much did you think that was plausible, that you guys could go on a run like that where you are in contention for a championship essentially three years in a row? Yeah, at the time we were recruiting those guys, we were never thinking about that. We, we really... Um, we we really concentrate on the the regular season, and you know I, I might look, or we might look back on this at the end of our career and think maybe that's why we've had a little problem, you know, in that second round. You know, I know there are other coaches that everything's about the NSA tournament, so you know maybe we have to adjust that a little bit. But we always look at how how can we compete in the Big East and be the best team we can be in the Big East, and then we look at the NSA tournament as hey, it's a tournament, you know, it's matchups, it's injuries, it's it's a break here or there. So um, we, what we thought about was we have a team that can compete for a Big East championship. And, and then things have happened. You know, we've lost in the second round. We've won a national right. championship. We've been a one seed. Uh, maybe we've got to do a little bit better job of concentrating on that. But I, I never want to lose the focus on these kids get to play 
30-some games in a regular season, they're really valuable to those kids. And what they do in those games and how they handle that season and how they grow and mature, that's going to be important to them for the rest of their lives. I never want their lives or, uh, or, 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 or their, even their careers to be defined by what they do in six games or five games in a tournament. So um, I still don't think about that when we're recruiting. I think about what can we do in a regular season. But you bring that up. I'm just curious. How would you adjust? I mean, how would you adjust that to say, okay, now we have a team from March versus November to uh, February? You know what, Andy? I don't have that answer yet. I got. <laughs> I really don't. I got to think because I've never, I've never looked at it that way. You know, I, um, I've looked at it as you know, we have a whole year with these kids to in in ingrain in them habits that are going to make them successful on the basketball court, and then habits that will make them successful in life. And for instance, the year we, I think we were a number one seed, yeah, and we, we lost in the second round to NC State. That team won the most games of any one of the school in history. Javon Pinkston was a senior. Darren Hillier was a senior. And I, I really made sure they understood that I, I was as proud of them as a national championship team because they brought it every single day. And they won more games throughout the regular season. They won a regular season championship, a Big East championship, they brought it, so that's what's going to be successful in life, showing up every day, not getting hot in a tournament or turning it on for five or six days. So that's the way we look at it. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to adjust that. I'm not saying I might not, though. I'm going to try to learn. <laughs> well, Jay, we appreciate it, uh, as always, and uh, good luck. I'll talk to you soon and see you soon. Thank you. Always good talking to you, buddy. Take care. All right, coming up here on March Madness 365. I'll be joined by Auburn head coach, Bruce Pearl. And now joining us here on March Madness 365, Auburn head coach, Bruce Pearl, fresh off their home win over Ole Miss. And the Auburn Tigers now 3-0 in the SEC, 15-1 overall. Okay, 15-1 overall. Bruce, how did this happen? Players, kids. <laughs> I mean, Andy, you know, you could talk about coaching, you could talk about this or that. When your players decide they're going to play for each other, they're going to trust each other, that winning is more important than anything else. And, and part of it is we had seven players return from last year's team. For the first time since I've been in Auburn, we've had some carryover. So the good, the bad, and the ugly of the year past is still present in, in this year's team. And in the offseason, we went about fixing some of the things that were ailing us, like rebounding or defense or free throw shooting, then it simply translated into more winning. You know, look, you've got great balance, obviously, with Mustafa Heron, Bryce Brown, Jared Harper, Sean Murray. They're all double-figure scores for the most part. Anthony McLemore can obviously give you major minutes. You know, and, and if I'm not mistaken, what you go about seven deep for the most part for your majority of your minutes, maybe eight when you include Mitchell in there. How much has this group sort of just sort of grown together because you are sort of limited on numbers? I mean, this is the group that you're going to have for the for the foreseeable future. It, it, it is. I mean, right now we only have nine scholarship players, and they're all playing. And, um, you know, we, we probably can't withstand another injury because we do have two of our best players that, that are not, have not been cleared. Their eligibility has not been cleared. So, But, you know, that's the, the, you, you, uh, you go with what you have. And um, I, I think the bottom line is um, we can, when we go to our bench, we don't drop off. Uh, guys understand that defense and rebounding travel. And, and we're just playing so much more unselfishly. We're just so much bought in. I've always said, look, it's not what a coach calls. 
so much is the players going out there and make those calls work. And I think that's what's taking place with this game. So no Daniel Purify, no Austin Wiley. Are they allowed to practice? Yes, they're practicing. They're in school. They're eligible for everything. They just haven't been cleared yet to be able to participate. And it's really unfortunate. Look, we made some mistakes. They made some mistakes. I do look at them as victims in this situation, and I do hope the NCAA would look at them the same way. And obviously we don't know what will happen with that in terms of a timetable. And the one other point on that, uh, you know, your assistant truck person no longer part of the program. Is that in the past in terms of your staff? Because your staff now is your staff. It's not like you're waiting to see if he's coming back. You've got your own staff now, and you guys are going forward. Yeah, uh, thanks for the question in this sense. We had to move everybody up. And so Harris Adler, Stephen Pearl, one of our coaches, Chad Pearl, went from my director of basketball operations to an assistant coach. But one of the great things, and I don't think people really understand this, um, graduate assistant coaches, managers, underclassmen, that, that, that aren't good enough to play, but love the game and want to be around it. They are all involved in a program. And yeah, there are limitations on what they can do but when it comes to scouting and and rebounding for players and, and doing the different things. This is college staffs are very much made up of students. Whether it's grad students or our guys have been asked to do a lot more because we've got a few staff members. And I'm really, really proud of my staff. And, 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 because, and the reason why I mention that is because we're training the coaches of tomorrow. You know, I look back at, at the games that you guys have had so far this season. And, you know, the 10-point win at Tennessee, this is a Tennessee team that I think ultimately will be in the NCAA tournament. You follow that up with a home win over Arkansas. Was the win at Tennessee, I mean, how much did that win essentially say to you, you know what, we're starting the SEC on the road at Tennessee, place you used to coach. We're pretty good. Like, we, we can do this this season. Yeah, that probably was the first time. That's a good question. That's the first time I may have felt that way. Because Tennessee is good, and Rick Barnes is a terrific coach, and 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 to be able to go on the road and get a win, and of course you know what that does for your math when you beat an RPI ten on the road, it really helps your chances yourself of getting in. But more than anything else, it did tell me, tell me that in a given night we could beat anybody. Now here's the deal: the effort and energy that we need to put forth to be able to be disruptive defensively in the drop back defense is enormous. And um, can we keep that up? Because, listen, there's just no margin for error. Like you said, we have nine scholarship guys. That's all that's available to us right now. Injury, foul trouble, a couple guys don't have a very good night. And the thing about the SEC, we have 15 games left. We can win them all. We could lose them all. I mean, literally could because this league, top to bottom, is as strong as, 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 as I've ever seen. Like, forget about who's going to win the league. Forget about Give me your top teams. Give me the two or three teams you put at the bottom. You, you don't want to answer that because you're not sure, but that's because you have to put three really good teams and maybe even one or two that are thinking they still have a chance of postseason in the 13th or 14th spot. So, Bruce, uh, quadrant is the new word of the day in the selection process, and road and uh, neutral site games are obviously going to weigh even more heavily. And I'm looking once again, what you've done so far, neutral wins, you know, even though they're lower level teams, you got two or three, you know, in your tournament in South Carolina where you beat Indiana State and Hofstra. You won at Dayton, got a neutral court win over Middle Tennessee, at Murray State. I mentioned the at Tennessee. 
as you look back so far, and you've got obviously plenty of road games to come in the SEC, uh, although you don't have to go to Kentucky in the unbalanced schedule, uh, but you do have to go to ro- you know tough road spots like Georgia, Florida, Arkansas, uh, among a couple others uh, still to come. Uh, how much do you feel like this group right now has you know prepared itself to put itself in position to get that bid based on the road neutral if you can take care of some business going forward? Well, we haven't been in the tournament since 2003. It's the longest drought in the SEC, and that's our goal. Um, so, you know, like games against Middle Tennessee on neutral sites, uh, those, are, those are dangerous games because Middle's a really good team. And last year we played them in Nashville. This year we played them in Birmingham. And then to go to Murray State. who what? You know, there hasn't been an SEC team play at Murray State in 20 years. And you're, 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 you've lost your mind if you're going to go play there because they don't lose at home and they're a really good team. But we have a, we have a little harder time at Auburn scheduling. We're smaller campus, and um, we, don't, we, don't, we just so don't, don't live in those, the household non-conference. So you go to Dayton, and we scheduled that when Coach Miller was still there. Why? Because one of the toughest places to play. If you beat Dayton at Dayton or Murray at Murray, then you've done something. And more than anything, you've said to the committee, look, we may not be able to get a, another Power 5 conference to go home and home with us all the time, but we went to some really tough places that nobody else wants to go to and came away with quality wins. No, you're right. I mean, most schools you know, won't do that unless they have to, which obviously that's the case with you guys. And you guys also are not sort of on the national radar you know, as much television-wise. I mean, You've got only two ESPN2 games, Restaurant SEC Network, which, you know, obviously is a great network. But to some extent, do you feel like you guys are flying a little bit under the radar and that has allowed this group to sort of come closer together and, and, and not have to deal with uh, any sort of over-the-top <laughs> expectations, you know, and all the pressure? First of all, we are not under the radar because I'm on Andy Katz's podcast, okay? <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you right now, period, yeah, that's, that is not flying under the radar. Um, look, uh, the, the, you've been in the TV business a long, long time. Ratings and size of the market are extremely important. Well, we have one of the smallest markets in the in the SEC. We also, because we're so hard to get into and we're such an excellent school, we only have 24,000 students. And so we're one of the smaller SEC schools. So when you look at the rating sheets, you go, you know, Auburn's not going to rate as well as a lot of these big, huge, large SEC schools. And I did, you know, I, I knew we were going to be good. And I didn't know we were going to be this good. But I thought we'd be good. And you're right. I tell my team, because we, we're going to be on ESPN 2 three times. We're not on ESPN at all this year. And I said, you know what? Who are we on against? UConn, Texas A&M, and I think the other one is Kentucky. Correct. I said, guys, they, they ain't here to see us. We got ESPN 2 because UConn playing us. That's it. They're not here. To, so every night. We're out there trying to prove them wrong. And, you know, the other day, it was, it was an article by CBS Sports before, the, before this conference season started. And I really do appreciate writers that will take a stand and tell, tell you what they think. Well, one of the writers said that he thought that Auburn go 4-14 in the SEC. So I had 4-14 T-shirts printed up. And one guy every game wears it during warm-ups. Not the whole team, just one guy. But it's not, that's not going to define us. But it's just a reminder to our, to our team of where we're picked. And if we, can, if we can continue to do this, we'll make history. We'll make history. And, and that is something these kids will never forget. 
Well, Bruce, we appreciate you coming on here. And uh, I, I've been I've been popping you on the Power 36, by the way. So uh, I know that. I, I might have been a little late on the bandwagon, but now I'm 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 staying on it. <laughs> I'm staying on it. But you've never been late on the Bruce Brew bandwagon. That's and true. Andy, I'm grateful. Well, Bruce, always appreciate it. And uh, I know you got uh, the road trip in the state of Mississippi. Well, yeah, Mississippi State uh, this weekend and the next Wednesday. You're at Alabama, so you got a couple on the road coming up. Appreciate it, Bruce. Thank well, you. Andy, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to another edition of March Madness 365. I'm Andy Katz. You can always download our podcast at NCAA.com. You can find this podcast, March Madness 365, wherever you get podcasts, especially on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.